Welcome to The Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello and welcome to The Naked Podcaster. This is Jen Taylor. I'm with Maria Fuller. Maria, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I've been excited about this because I read through all your information and it was um, something that definitely hit home for me. So tell me, you have Raising a Powerful Girl, the website, and the Empowered Girl Movement. So jump in and tell me what you're doing. Sure. So, you know, my work has really been about uh, creating conversation um, with community about what we need to be doing to empower this next generation of girls so that they can go out into the world um, with a really strong sense of who they are, um, what their purpose is, and using their voice to create change. Because my belief is that um, a lot of the changes that we need so desperately in the world is going to come from women's leadership. And we really need to get more women into women's leadership. And by leadership, I don't necessarily mean like running companies or in politics, but self-leading, self-leading their own lives and coming from this place of this is what I want. Um, And it really needs to start with how we're raising girls. We need to be raising them with this mindset and these set of tools and surround them by these stories that they need to hear so that they are, they build this foundation in which that they can then launch um, as they become older and start creating change. And we actually want girls to actually start using their voice and creating change right now. And what's really exciting is that if you look at what's going on in the world right now and you're, and you're a feminist, and I hope you're all feminists, um, and you're paying attention, there's some really amazing young girls that are using their voice and creating massive, massive change. And that's so exciting because we have real life role models for everyday girls to see um, on on how women create change. So um, for me, I have a lot of training and experience in health science and women's studies, and I've done some leadership training through MIT on leadership in times of disruption. And um, that's really looking at how we can lead during times of chaos and how do we create change, right? Like you can look at the world and say like, oh, all of this stuff is going on and, and, and it doesn't feel good and, and why are we going backwards and how do we create change? And, and we need to create disruption. And in order to create disruption um, and break patterns of behaviors and cycles, we need to do that across two generations. That's how we really create change. And so um, my first brand, Raising a Powerful Girl, is really where we talk to parents and guardians and um, educators and people that work with girls every day on these ideas of what girls need. And, and we give lots of tools and tips and there's lots of different stories um, that we tell. And I bring on professionals from all over the world to kind of help educate and empower parents um, to think differently, right? I'm from the philosophy of of when we know better, we do better. And so we're just trying to give people more information so that they can do better for their girls. Um, So we do that with a podcast and our blog. And then we have the Empowered Girl Movement, which is where we work with the girls directly. And we're giving girls um, tips and tricks and tools and stories that they need. Um, And we do that through a series of... um, uh, 
one-on-one uh, -on -one person um, events, um, which I have ambassadors all over the world that are working with me on that and through our online platform for girls. So when you say one-on-one, -on -one, the first thing that comes up in my mind is like a big brother, big sister type thing. Is that sort of the platform? Not quite. So we have a, a, an experience called the Empowered Girl Experience, and this actually stems back to work that I was doing several years ago, which really kind of um, helped me to find my zone of genius, I guess you would say. It was actually what helped me really find my purpose. Um, and that is, I actually take women who are photographers and um, teach them uh, certain skills and we take girls through this experience using the Socratic method. And if you know what the Socratic method is, that's a, a conversation where um, you lead someone through a conversation through questions that are meant to help them connect with who they are at their core and what their beliefs are and help them kind of pull that out from themselves. And what I've, what I've found, and we work with tween and teen girls, so typically between the, the ages of like seven or eight through like 15 or 16 and we start asking them these really big questions that for many girls they've never been asked before like what's a change that you'd like to see in the world to make it better and and they give these big deep um really thoughtful insightful ideas and then we bring it to like how can you start making that change inside of your community, inside of your small circle of friends or in your family. And we get them to start thinking about how they can actually start creating change in their own community. Um, we help them to really think about the things that they're good at because for a lot of teen and tween girls, they're so focused on everything that they lack. Yeah. So everything that they're bad at, everything that um, they struggle with. And that's where their focus tends to be because really as a society, that's kind of what we tend to focus on. Like, you know, for a girl to come in and say like, I'm, an, I'm amazing at doing this. Like what, how do we start labeling her? Or even, even if boys do that, you're cocky, you're arrogant, um, you're a goody two shoes, you're a know-it-all. And so girls don't do that. And they don't even go to that place of understanding, like they have these incredible strengths, let's utilize them. So it's, it was actually an eye-opener when I started doing this and I, I would ask girls like, what are you good at? They, they couldn't even come up with things or they could come up with one or two things. And, and I'd have to, you know, really work with them and, and pull, you know, I, it, it's this, this method that I call pulling threads, pull these threads out of them to help them bring up to the surface what they're good at, how they help people, um, you know, how they're important in their world, um, you know, coming from a mental health perspective, looking, you know, and, and seeing the rise of, of mental health issues in teen and tween girls, um, a lot of them feel isolated in their experience. A lot of them think that they are not important. They have no value in the world because we're not listening to what they're saying. We don't think their ideas and their thoughts are important. And um, they don't think they actually play a larger role in the world. And so I really wanted them to start thinking about how they actually do play a large role in their communities and their world and how they can actually use their voice and create impact. Um, so we take them through this awesome conversation and then we actually um, photograph them doing what they love. And the photography component is multifaceted where we are actually talking to them about um, body language. And so um, we use words and we make them, we all 
say a word to them, like show me confidence, show me, show me strength. Um, what does resiliency look like to you? Um, what does quiet and soft look like to you? And, and we get all of these facets of the girl to come out because she isn't just one way. Um, she, there's many sides of us. We don't have to always be strong and confident. Sometimes we can be quiet and soft. Um, and we talk about body language and how you um, can, you know, the way we stand can actually project how we feel. And so when you have a girl that has low self-esteem and low confidence and she has a hard time maybe standing up in front of the class or she has a hard time talking to her teacher and asking for help, then teaching her how to stand confidently and grounded will raise her confidence level so she can actually go and have those conversations. And it's it's from just shifting like your hips, you know, and, and getting out of that hypersexual um, overly feminine stance that we see, that girls see in media. And so that's how they always stand, right? And when we teach them to shift their weight, um, not to shrink in, um, they and we give them these tools on just how to stand when you talk to someone, you can see a change in how they present themselves, which is really, really interesting. Um, and we take them through this process and we photograph them doing things that they love and they're passionate about. So dance or riding horses or, or painting, um, you know, or being in nature. And uh, the end result of that is having beautiful images of, of them that they can have and um, have hopefully in their room. And what I wanted was for every girl to uh, wake up every morning and see a beautiful image of herself on the wall. And that's our first step of teaching her to love herself and to love her body and to see how amazing she is. And then psychologically, it brings her back to the emotions of the day and all of those things that we talked about. And it reinforces um, how incredible she is um, and how amazing she is. Um, and then they um, become uh, members of our community on our online girls platform where we're constantly giving them more tools and, and, and tips that they need to constantly reinforce these ideas because we really light a match underneath them um, when we do this and they start thinking bigger and we, the moms tell us like we see they, I saw an immediate shift. Like after she worked with you on this, like she was just like head held high. I'm using my voice. Like, this is what I want. Very driven. And so we want to keep nurturing that and um, giving them, you know, those ideas and let them know that they're part of something bigger um, and that we're all rallying around her to support her and, and we want to see her, um, you know, achieve those dreams and, and go far. As far as the parents, the work with the parents, because the, what you're doing with the kids is phenomenal, but how do you tie that in with the parents? We have a lot of parents that I'm sure have self-esteem that's as low or lower, because that's a huge issue just in society in general, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a big part of the podcast and, and I tell people is I'm two steps ahead of everybody else, right? I've been doing this research for years. I'm a mom raising two girls, um, almost five and 10 years of age. And, and I tell people I'm two steps ahead of you. And so I still struggle with body image issues and I'm still struggling with my confidence and I, and I struggle. It's actually been a real challenge for me um, running these two, you know, major international brands and being the face of them. I have a hard time literally going out 
out into public or, or having large media appearances because I'm still uncomfortable with my weight and my body. But part of empowering my daughter and teaching her to love herself means that I need to work on it as well. And I need to be kind and gentle to myself and I have to model the behavior that I want to see in my daughter. And so we talk a lot about that in the podcast um, and, and how we as parents need to show up to be able to do this for our children. And this, and, and while, even though I'm talking about girls, a lot of this is applicable to boys as well. Um, you know, we want boys to um, be in touch with their emotions. We want them to be able to share and have conversations um, with, with their parents and their guardians um, and, and not, you know, have to succumb to, to the stereotypes and the stigmas of being a male today. Um, but you know, that's what really where the podcast has been really powerful are these conversations. Um, we have some things in the works, um, hopefully for this fall that are going to be coming out to give parents a little bit more guidance and support as well. But that for me, I think has been a great first step because I think for a lot of parents, especially for women, there's a lot of shame attached to, there's a lot of shame attached in parenting, right? Because we're all, we always feel like we're being judged. We're not good enough. Oh, my child did this. I mean, think about like when you go to the grocery store and your child has like that massive meltdown and you're like, you know, like your first, you're like, oh my God, this is horrible. And you're like diving. You're like, shh. And like, like by the second, you're kind of like, you know, like it happens. But some of them still like you have that, that shame. You're going to be judged for this. And that's what I actually found early on was that I started trying to work just with the parents. And it was, and, and just with the moms, but moms have so much of their own shame attached and all these layers have been put on us. Um, and we feel guilty that it's almost hard to unearth our own stuff um, and work through that um, to be able to help our daughters. So I knew we had to be doing it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, and girls have no problems working one-on-one with us. They don't have as many layers on them yet, but moms, I needed to take a gentler approach. And the podcast is great because it's anonymous. Nobody knows you're listening to it. Um, but I get the little love notes and the emails that come into me saying, thank you. This spoke to me, this resonated. Um, so we've been nurturing that for almost two years, um, and creating that, that community that way. And we'll be slowly starting to, um, trickle out some more information and support that parents need, or, or that's also why we bring the pros on because there's also certain areas that people need more support in, um, and they can reach out to those professionals, um, as well. So it's, it's been really great in, in that avenue and the way that's working. I think shame is a great word and it wasn't a word even a couple of years ago, probably I would have been like, really shame? Like that's, that's a big one, but it is. And you can just look at moms who work compared to moms that stay at home. I mean, and that's, you could just start there with something that should be really not that big of a deal and just start the shame game war back and forth. So you mentioned 10 years you've been doing this. So Mm -hmm. let's go back and talk about what, because there, there's a catalyst to everything. So tell yeah. me what you did in your previous life. I want to know more about the MIT thing, though, because I read that, and that was so fascinating to me. Um, but anyway, you've got, you have a lot of training. Let's go back and tell me, because you were a paramedic, which isn't the same as what you're doing now. No, it's not. So um, I'm a, so I'm a white presenting Latina. Um, I was, uh, my dad's a, uh, American um, and my mom is from Spain. We, we have Argentinian descent. So I was um, brought up in the U.S. culture, but with a European um, and Latina mom, which was really a challenge. And I was 
Catholic school all my life, I was a, I was a really good girl. Like I was the typical good little Catholic school girl. I was a perfectionist. I was a people pleaser. I knew exactly what I needed to do to elicit the response of you're such a good girl. I mean, I went to my entire academic education until my first year of college, I was on full scholarship everywhere I went um, because of grades and because of who I was. Always a leader in the sense of leading for others. So I'd be the child that would be sent to like other schools or to talk to parents about how great the school is, very well-spoken, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, went, I went away for my first year of college and it was right after I had met my husband. I met my husband right after I graduated from high school um, into a Jesuit university. And, I, and it was at that point that I pretty much had men, mental health breakdown and collapse because um, I was so miserable. It was such a bad fit for me. That university was such a bad fit because for my entire life, um, I was pleasing others. And I really had no idea who I was at my core. No idea. I mean, from the fact that I couldn't even dress myself, I had no idea what my style was because I was in a uniform my entire life. And when I wasn't in a uniform, I had a very strict Latina mother who picked out all of my clothing, decided how my hair would be cut. And if you know anything about like the, the Latin culture, they're very much about um, children have to be very presented and be dressed very proper. And if you are not, you know, your hair is not brushed well, your face isn't clean, like that for them is a sign of you being a bad parent and not taking care of them, right? So I was like, like the, the perfectly primped little girl and everything was selected and chosen for me. And I was always told what to do. And I was always very good at following what to do. Um, and it was funny because it was labeled as me being a leader, but I wasn't. I was just a very strong follower. And so I get to my first year of college and, it, and, and my eyes were open because I would spend time going to my husband's university, which was like, 400 miles away um, in New York, he would come up every weekend and pick me up, bring me down to his university, spend the weekend, he'd come back up. And I was in this big, amazing campus with 30,000 students from all over the world, like diversity galore. And um, it was incredible. Um, so my first, I think, awakening was that experience of, of realizing that I was miserable. Um, and I realized I was miserable because I, it, it just all came up that I, I had no idea who I was. Um, and it was pretty heartbreaking. And I ended up, you know, dropping a full scholarship um, and transferring universities against my parents, um, <laughs> against my parents' wishes um, and paying, taking out student loans myself and pretty much becoming financially independent from them at 18 years of age to pursue something that sparked a joy in me and excitement that I had never felt in my entire life. Good for you. I mean, holy cow, because you're right. You were a, you were a really strong follower. You're right. I can't even imagine not knowing. I have a friend that different experience, but same thing, mom dressed or the same parenting thing where she didn't buy her own underwear until she was 27. I mean, like literally yeah. that's crazy. Right. Yep. But yep. I mean, if you never have to, and you don't know the difference and you don't know to ask and you're never presented, but I want to back up. You met the boyfriend and you were visiting him on the weekend. That must've been like, not okay. <laughs> um, you know, I was, 
I was a good girl, but I was always very independent. So my parents okay. didn't have a lot of money. Um, so, I mean, I had my first job when I was 12 years old. My dad had a business um, and he had a, a big, um, uh, it sounds funny, but it's not, it, it sounds worse than it is, but he had his gas station and car wash and every weekend it was the busiest time. And mm -hmm. he didn't trust a lot of the employees that he had had. He had issues with like money being stolen. So I would run at the cashier Saturdays and Sundays and I would work 15 hour shifts at 12 years old, handling all the money, paying out um, staff and stuff at 12. So I was always very responsible. Um, when I was 15 years old, I was working for the Gap and I was doing all of their visuals. Um, so, I mean, I had the job that like adults would have being paid, like this was like 20 plus years ago, I was being paid $25 an hour. Like I had a good job. I had a job there because I had dress code and I could buy my clothes for school cheaper there with the discount, right? So I, I'd always been very responsible in that sense. Um, uh, and I don't, I don't know. I think my parents knew, I think when that happened, I was kind of like, this is what I'm going to do. And I was 18. Um, and I was kind of like, you really don't have a say because they weren't financially supporting me anyways. I was on full scholarship at the university. So it's not like they were going to be like, well, we're going to withhold money because they weren't giving it to me anyways. I was working while I was there. So I was kind of like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and my husband was a good guy and they knew he was a good guy, but he was also my first boyfriend ever. Um, he was my first and my last boyfriend. Um, That's crazy to me. Yeah, that is crazy. <laughs> I was his too. Like, 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 like. We're not gonna go down my love story, but like, I had the moment where like I met him, I saw him, like, like the the lights came out, and I remember going home to my mom saying I met the guy I was gonna marry, and she laughed at me, um, because I had like never had a boyfriend, um, but it happened. Um, married now twelve, married twelve years, been together for nineteen. Um, Yay! But I just, I just decided. I think I, I think I would. They saw how miserable I was, and I was like, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm not going back to that university i'm gonna do this and i remember there were arguments i know there was disappointment there were years where like they didn't, they wouldn't even come out to visit me and they only lived like two hours away um but i had you know we had our own place my own apartment at 19 um and i put myself through school um working full time um to what get my sparks joy meeting people and, and being out of a white bubble you know, I live in the Northeast and I was um, in this little and very wealthy areas and, um, and I was in this white bubble for all of my schooling. And I, it, while I am physically presenting white, I was brought up in, in a non-white culture. So when I was up at the other school and I would listen to Latin music and I would cook my own food and um, I had racial slurs painted on my dorm room wall, um, door, I, I was like, I have to get out of here. I have to meet people that are not so narrow-minded. And I met people from all over the world and um, just being around a lot of people and, and like people that like had really interesting conversations at 18 and 19 years of age. And they weren't just interested in partying and um, being close to New York city was really nice to be able to go in and the culture that it was just, it just felt joyous. And, and that's when I really connected with my intuition, um, which I never really knew what it was. It was there, but I had always gone against it. Um, and that for me was a big aha moment, like connecting with my intuition when I realized how good that felt. And I followed that it brought me more joy. And so I continued to follow the path of what sparked joy for me and really connecting with, with my intuition to, and allow that to guide me as opposed to what people um, said I, I should do or how I should act or how I should be. 
You're awesome. I love it. So you got your degree in what? So my degree, um, I have a, a Bachelor of Science in Health Science with a minor in Emergency and Disaster Management and Women's Studies. Um, and then I became a critical care paramedic. So the hospital that I actually worked at, my standing orders were really, really advanced. Um, I'm not like your, I wasn't like your normal 911 paramedic. I actually did interfacility transports, which means I would go, um, I worked at a major level one trauma center. So I would go to other smaller hospitals that had patients that they couldn't care for, try to stabilize them and bring them back to my hospital. And we did that either by ambulance or by helicopter. So I was I had the orders of basically a field physician, um, our emergency department, when um, we didn't have enough attending physicians on board and we had a mass trauma coming in or cardiac issues, they would pull in paramedics to actually run those um, alongside of attending physicians. So um, a lot of power and responsibility at a very young age. Um, and I was able to make massive impact on people's lives um, at a very young age. And that was pretty amazing um, for me. And it was a big big eye-opener um, as well. I was actually um, fired from uh, my first paramedic job um, because I, I was brought into the office and the CEO met with me and he told me that I had been documenting too closely on things which meant that one of the facilities where I was picking up patients from, I was reporting cases of elder abuse because they were cases of neglect and elder abuse. And I did my job and documented everything. And basically he was like, you have to stop documenting so closely or we have to fire you because this facility is going to pull their multi-million dollar contract. And I just made it very clear to him um, what he was asking. And I said, okay, so you're asking me to not do my job. And he was like, no, I'm just asking you just not to put so many details. And I said, well, that would mean I have to admit certain parts of an assessment, which is part of my license. And there was no way around it. I was like, so you're going to fire me? <laughs> he didn't want to fire me because he didn't want to pay workman's comp. But um, I got yeah. fired for that. Um, and that was a big eye opener because I realized, um, like, I needed that job. Like, I was in my early 20s, completely independent, and I really needed that job. And I knew that wasn't going to look good being fired for my first job um, as a paramedic. But luckily, I could tell people why I was fired, which wasn't good for him. Um, but I realized that that there was more to this world and decisions than just my own comfort and just my own needs. And I needed to put uh, sometimes other people's needs um, in front of my own and um, really connecting with my intuition, which was screaming the whole time. I knew what I was being called in for because um, there had been tons of casual comments in the facility about me being a feather ruffler. And that was the first time they called me that. And, and I am a feather ruffler. I am a massive feather <laughs> ruffler now. That kind of, that kind of unleashed it. Um, where, where I was ashamed at first for that, um, it's probably one of my proudest moments um, to have gone through that and kept going through. Um, and, and it happened in how I ended my, my career ended as a paramedic. So my career ended um, because I was, doing a, I was doing a transport with a very critical patient. Um, we had to bring her to NYU hospital in the middle of a storm um, and she needed immediate brain surgery. And there was only two neurosurgeons in the world that could actually do the specific type of surgery that she needed. We didn't have enough time to assemble a full team, which usually would have had multiple paramedics and nurses and respiratory therapists and the ambulance. And we, if we took the time to assemble the team, the patient would have died. So I took her myself, very medically complex patient, intubated, sedated, 
intubated, a lot of medicines, um, very, very sick. And somebody cut the ambulance off while we were um, going lights and sirens to the hospital. And I was standing up drawing more medication to sedate her. And um, when, when we got cut off, my partner swerved and hit the guardrail and I fell into the wheel well and dislocated my shoulder. Um, and so um, I had a choice to either seek medical treatment for myself, in which case my patient would have died, or to wait to complete the transport until I got back to my hospital um, and seek medical treatment because I carried narcotics on me and because my level of skill and training was so advanced that we couldn't just call a regular paramedic in the area to come and relieve me and continue the transport, um, I had to do it. So I had to pick my life or her life. Um, so I popped my shoulder back in myself as best as I could with no medication. Um, and continued the transport. And six hours later, when I finally made it back to my facility, I had permanently damaged the nerve in my shoulder um, because I didn't get the shoulder back in by myself. <laughs> so that ended my career as a paramedic. Wow. Did she survive? She did. Was it worth it? Yes. Any life is worth it. Absolutely. Any life is worth it. That's what I was, that's what I was trained to do. I mean, it was a shoulder injury. Um, you know, and, and it was my, it was my first pivot point. And that pivot point brought me to my purpose and what I was supposed to do. And so I really believe that life, um, life doesn't happen to us. It happens for us. And so, yeah, she lived, she lived and, um, was able, she was a mom, she had little kids and she was able to continue to be a mom and little kids. And at the time I was really like sad um, cause I didn't really know what I was going to do with the rest of my life because I couldn't work as a paramedic. And my only options were really to either not work in the medical field or to go back to school and become a doctor. And at that point I was, you know, I was, it happened three weeks before I was getting married as well. Um, so that was kind of like a bummer. And I was like, I, I can't go back to school now for another eight years after doing this. So, um, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was going to get married. <laughs> and you did do that and I did do that and, and I know two years later you had your first baby yeah so what happened other than you got married and then you had a baby two years later so what happened in that two years because you must have started launched this right around the same time you gave birth and launched your business at the same time no I so I'm I, launched, guessing. I launched my <laughs> I launched my first business um, a couple of months after I got married. So my first entrepreneurial experience, I ran, um, a high end, um, uh, custom like stationary company. Um, so I had just gotten married. Right. So I was really into like, like the whole wedding stuff. So I, um, I'd always been a very creative person, but my parents were kind of like, you can't really make money in the arts. So go do something else. And so we went to medicine. Actually, medicine is extremely creative. Um, I really fulfilled that need, that out of the box thinking. And so I, I did that and it was really fun. I love textiles and um, design and color and stuff, but it was manually intensive. Um, it was fun for a little while and then I was kind of like over it. Um, and then I became pregnant with Alexa. <laughs> and that okay, was... Okay, <laughs> wait, there's a laugh. There's a laugh. <laughs> So I believe each of my girls was sent to me for a reason, to remind me of something or teach me a lesson. Um, Alexa was sent to me to teach me to lose, to let go of control and to let go of expectations. And so 
Um, I suffered from undiagnosed hyperemesis gravidarum with her. And so if you don't know what that is, that's ex extreme form of morning sickness. Um, a lot of people know about it now because Amy Schumer just you know, has it. Um, uh, the Duchess of Cambridge, uh, Prince William's wife has had it with all three of her pregnancies. But when I was pregnant with Alexa, uh, not a lot of people knew about it, um, even my own midwives. So I would vomit 10 to 20 times a day. Um, by the time I was full term pregnant with her, I was negative 30 pounds under my pre-pregnancy weight. Um, and I prayed every day to die because it was so horrible. Um, and then I was planning a home birth with her because having worked in the medical field and have had a, had a really good um, perspective of how things are done these days and decisions are made. And because of my experience in labor and delivery, I decided that the safest place for me and my baby was to be at home with uh, certified nurse midwives. And again, patience, Alexa decided um, my labor with her was 54 hours long. I had what was called hypertonic uterus syndrome, which means my uterus was contracting, um, but it wasn't communicating with my cervix. So after eight hours, I was in transition. So I was in transition for over 40 hours with her, um, labor-wise. And after 40 hours, I transferred to the hospital um, to get an epidural. <laughs> this is where it keeps getting better. And I'm the 1% of women that epidurals don't work on. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, I laugh now because it's like, like when you tell the story, you're like, dude, you cannot make this up. Like I cannot <laughs> make this up. Um, so 54 hours later, she came screaming into the world on Valentine's day at 1.21 in the morning with third degree tears and meconium aspiration. And they put her on my chest and I expected the heavens to open up and for the angels to sing and for me to look at her and have this instant connection and love my baby. And I looked at her and I had this primal urge that came up to protect her. Like I can't even explain. And I had no idea who she was. And I was so exhausted and so miserable and in so much pain that I looked at my husband and I said, please take her and do skin to skin with her. And I couldn't even look at her. And for me, it was my first moment of like horrendous isolation because I thought there was something wrong with me because the pregnancy was so bad. I had a close friend that was pregnant and I remember she kept telling me how she felt like Mother Earth. To this day, I still yell at her for even having said that she felt like Mother Earth when she was pregnant. Um, and so I thought there was just something wrong with me and I had wanted to be a mom my entire life. And when that moment, which had been, you know, we've seen in media our entire lives, right? That's what motherhood's supposed to look like, right? They put the baby on, you have an instant bond. Isn't that what every single mom says on Facebook and Instagram? Oh, I had my baby, we're so in love, this instant connection, right? Like that's what I was told it was supposed to be like. And when it, when it didn't happen, then there was something wrong with me. Um, and Alexa had a lot of medical issues. She couldn't, she, from having been in, in my pelvis for so long at a, at a, a bad angle because she had a nuchal hand. So that's why we figured out why my labor took so long. So nuchal hand means her hand was the next to her face. So when she actually was born, she came out like superwoman, hand first, one <laughs> hand first. <laughs> Charge, bombs, uterus. Um, <laughs> so it put pressure on her jaw, on her like jaw, I guess. And she, um, she couldn't, breastfeed. She couldn't even bottle feed. We had a syringe feed her for two weeks 
and working with therapists to loosen up the muscles in her necks and get that nerve working again. And she finally latched at eight weeks um, of age and she had severe acid reflux and I spiraled into postpartum depression, borderline psychosis, like, like nothing you've seen. Um, and my husband was just so desperate to bring the life back to my eyes that he had this intuition or download from the universe or whatever you want to call it to teach me how to use a camera. And he was an avid amateur photographer and he just wanted to give me something to do because I went from being this, this having this massive, amazing career from being in my early twenties and having all of this power and leadership. I mean, I would come into rooms as a paramedic and I would have doctors that had been practicing medicine for 30 years, come and hold my hand and say, I don't know what to do. Save them. Right. Like that's a massive power trip, especially for a young girl. Um, and I was a girl then, um, to having everything that happened. And I, I had, I mean, you lose yourself when you become a mom because you have to be rebirthed into the mom that you're supposed to be. So on top of having had that identity loss with career and everything that happened with Alexa, um, I, I was like, like, there's not very many pictures of me from that time period. Um, and the ones that are, it's like, there's no light in my eyes. And when he finally gave, showed me how to use that camera, it was like this, light bulb moment of magic where I now had this way of communicating with the world everything that I was going through as a mom. And so I started photographing her and then one thing led to another and I had a full-fledged photography business going. Um, within 18 months of starting my company, I was on Rachel Ray for my work, magazine covers, um, really pretty well-known um, clients hiring me from all over. And, and I focused a lot on motherhood and I focused on the light and the dark side of motherhood because it both needs to be celebrated. And what I wanted was to start sharing stories of like what motherhood looks like and how you don't always instantly bond with your baby and how that's okay. And how, you know, and I, and I started sharing openly how like I didn't really connect with Alexa until she was two. Two. I took great care of her. I loved her, um, but I didn't know who she was. Like we had no connection and I had a lot of PTSD that I needed to work through and resentment. It's something I still have to work through every day to connect with her. It's actually a little bit more challenging to connect with her. And that really is because of the whole birthing experience. And um, that's why it's so important that women have good birthing experiences and they have, they're in a situation of trust um, and because it really impacts the imprinting and how everything leads later on. So I just started exploring motherhood and pregnancy and started kind of having conversations of like, let's like really talk about like what this experience is like. And I would use my photographs without even blogging or using words and moms would connect saying like, I, I can feel like that image was me last night for hours rocking my baby. Um, and I started as, as my girls got older, um, I started getting curious about like, what, what am I going to expect raising these girls older? Like what's going on with tweens and teens today? Because I didn't want to be a mom to girls, like really did not want to have girls because my experience as a, as a female was really rough. 
And, um, you know, a lot of, I'd been bullied. I'd always had body image issues and self-esteem issues. And I didn't know why then, but if I had all of these issues, I knew that unless I could fix them, I would pass them on to them. And I didn't want to pass that on. And at that time, I didn't, I didn't know where it was coming from. Um, but then God laughed or the universe laughed <laughs> and he was like, no, no, you're supposed to be doing this work. So I'm not going to send you just one girl, but then I'm going to send you your second. And they sent me Aria and Aria was sent to me to find, to learn, to find the joy in motherhood. And I had the most amazing pregnancy with her. Okay. That's what I was going to ask you. Thank you. Okay. okay. The most amazing pregnancy with her. I had the most amazing, intense 19-hour home birth with her. She was born just as the sun was rising in a birthing tub in my bedroom. Um, and another reflux baby projectile, though, but like latched right away. Um, I almost died seven days after I had her, though, because of a complication. But like I got through that. <laughs> she had it was so just a little glitch. Just a little glitch. Just like a massive uterine infection that I had, um, from retained, uh, placenta. No, amniotic sac because my water didn't break until I was, um, I didn't even, I didn't even push her. Like I experienced fetal ejection reflex, which is when your body decides to like shoot the baby out itself. Like never like read about it, experienced it. So my, my bag of water like, like just burst. So I retained a little bit of the sac and that caused a massive infection. Who knew? Um, but she was like a joy instantly connected with her like bubbly lovey-dovey really awesome um kid now she's my hardest though <laughs> that alexa's like super mild and like awesome and like now we've like totally like we jive and ari and i like clash right now so that's that's where we are in life um so in the, did you have guilt about bonding so well the second time because you didn't the first time or had you let go I, of that? No, I still carry guilt. I still carry guilt. And I, and, uh, and I'll be honest. And I, and, and I share, I share full transparency because um, this needs to be said. It is a conscious effort for me to continue to connect with Alexa. But I, but I'm aware, right? Awareness is the first step to fixing any problem. I am aware that I'm still suffering from PTSD and that I have to consciously choose to connect with her because I don't have that um, like magnetic response. Like I have yeah. a magnetic response with Aria. I don't have that with Alexa. Um, I have to work at it a little bit more, but something is starting to happen now with Alexa being older and the work that I'm doing, that that's starting to actually like come together. Like she's actually, we're launching a podcast for girls later this summer and she's going to be co-hosting it with me. And she's the reason why our online platform for girls exists is because she challenged me to create it. So Alexa is very much like me and I'm starting to realize that. And I think that's sometimes why we clash. And I think it's important to like understand that like, they all have their individual personalities. And like I say to my husband jokingly, but like not jokingly, like I probably wouldn't choose to be friends with Alexa, mm -hmm. right? Like we, we like, there's certain people we get along with better than others, but Alexa is Alexa. And I've raised a girl that knows who she is at her core, right? Like, like and that to me is amazing. And so I'm learning to 
still let go of my expectations because that's still part of the clash to see her as who she is. And when I can do that, what happens is amazing. And then it becomes magnetic, but it's, it's still this psychological thing that I need to work on. And it's gotten way, way better, especially now that Aria's in the like almost five really annoying stage. (laughs) (laughs) I want to, I want to go, so you, in the midst of having kids and going through all this, you launched what you knew was your purpose. Yeah. And she was the slap in the face, kind of. Yeah. So I launched what was my purpose because the work that I was doing with girls. So I got to the point where I had this massive multi six figure, amazing studio um, here in Connecticut. I had clients flying in to work with me from all over the US and the world. Um, And moms would call me and they'd be like, I need you to work with my daughter. She has low self-esteem and body image issues. Like you have to work with her. Like she needs to see how amazing she is. And I'd be like, okay, and we'd work with them. And and what I found was um, that nine out of 10 times the girls with the worst self-esteem and body image issues, I could almost directly correlate it to mom. Just Mm. conversation with the mom, just looking at how the mom presents herself, Um, being a photographer and doing the work that I've done, especially when I was a paramedic, I learned a lot to read bodies and read body language. Um, So I'm really good at like, um, and part of it is that I'm, I'm an empath, but I'm really good at looking at people and like seeing like where, where their shame is. And what happened for me was that I realized I, as a photographer, I had to stay in my lane and I was running the, I was doing this work as a photographer, still labeled as a photographer. And so I couldn't like look at mom and say like, you're part of the problem or like what you're doing while you think you're being an ally is actually causing more problems. That became so heartbreaking to me. Um, And I realized this problem was so, so much bigger. And this was like 2015, 2016 with everything that was going on in the world politically with women that I, 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 I became so heartbroken that my company shut down overnight. Um, and that was kind of my, like, it was more than a push from the world, the universe to like, you need to be doing this work. And I can't even tell you where the name Raising a Powerful came from. I can't tell you the day that I had the idea. It was like something that was always in me that I knew like this was my next step. It's, it was the, the most surreal, even now telling this, like, I, I just can't even, it just, I knew that this was what I, what I was supposed to do. And I launched this company and it, and, and it, and it took off like the, the podcast took off. I mean, we're the podcast is only like 20 months in and we've hit over a hundred thousand downloads, um, wow. internationally and, and only like 60% of them are in the U S so it's like really international followership. Um, and then the Empowered Girl app came from Alexa. Um, you know, she wanted to be on technology and we're a low-tech household because of all of my research. Like, it's just, I didn't want to introduce a lot of technology into our, into our home. And when we did, I wanted to do in a very um, deliberate, intentional manner. And she wanted to be on it because her friends were on it. And so I said to her, I was like, listen, it's junk food for your brain. There's only so much junk food you can have, like regular junk food and brain junk food. I said, if there was something that was like really good for your brain and healthy and like amazing, like then you could be on it more, but that doesn't exist. And so my girl, the way I raised her, looked at me and said, well, why don't you make it mom? 
And I was like, um, I can't make an app, right? I went back to my place of like, I can't yeah. do this. I don't have any training in that. I was trained in medicine. You want me to code something? Are you out of your mind? And I walked away and she came after me. She's like, I want to have a conversation about this. Um, and most moms are like, I can't believe you let her talk to you like that. I was like, why? She told me she wanted to have a conversation about this. Like, this is how we are. Like, she is allowed to challenge me. I expect her to challenge me. How, how can I expect her to go out into the world and challenge everyone else if, if she can't challenge me? And so she said, let's have a conversation about this. And I said, okay, why? She's like, why can't you do it? I'm like, because I can't do it. And she's like, okay, if you could do it, mom, what would it be? And what would it look like? Like, what do you want me to know? And I said a couple of things to her and she went off and played happily. And I sat and I was like, I can't believe I like me of all people just modeled that to my daughter. Didn't even try, said I couldn't do it. Like totally went to the place of I'm not good enough. Like just didn't even try. And so I said, no, this is not how this is going to go. I said, I don't, I don't. And I still said to myself, I don't think I can do this. But for her, I need to show her that at least I'm going to try because she's someone that has a lot of fear in trying new things. And it's something we were really working on. And so I sat down and Googled how to build an app. And 10 weeks later launched the Empowered Girl <laughs> app for clever, creative, and inquisitive girls that focuses on the six tenets of mindfulness, gratitude, purpose, mindset, relationships, and humanitarianism um, as the tools and, that girls need to empower themselves and change the world. And it really came from everything that I wish I had had when I was a young girl. Um, you know, I, while I ran my business, I did a lot of work, work with women in business and leadership and, and so many of the themes that held women back in their businesses or um, pursuing higher levels in careers could almost always be stemmed back to a childhood story of how she was as a little girl. And it comes from lack of self-worth, not having her purpose, um, not having these skills and techniques. And so I realized that we needed to do this now. We needed to do this young. We needed to do this at this, this age where um, they start transitioning from childhood to adolescence where the, the pivotal years where you could still give them these skills um, and, and that's where they would actually like launch. Um, and so we launched that in November of 2018 and it's been pretty incredible. Um, I actually launched it for the Apple and Google store and it came back with two bugs and then it came up with like how like Apple's policy is with like apps and stuff. And it didn't really feel good to me. And I also wanted to have it be an inclusive platform. So I actually trashed the whole thing and rebuilt it again. And this time I was like, I could totally do this and rebuilt it to a platform that's mobile responsive. So it's accessible by computer, tablet, and mobile device. So like can be used in schools. Um, and hopefully in 2020, we're going to be launching um, a nonprofit sector where we actually give the platform away to girls in lower socioeconomic and underprivileged communities um, that parents that couldn't afford to have them on there through sponsorship. So in order to do that, it needed to be something that they could use in like a public library or something like that because they don't have access to phones and, and iPads and tablets. Like I really wanted to be conscious of privilege um, and all of that as well. Um, and so that's part of our empowered girl movement. And we've got the empowered girl sessions that I've got ambassadors all over the world working under me doing those with girls. And we're launching our podcast, Alexa and I, 
are launching our podcast for girls this summer. She's going to co-host it with me. Um, and it's been a really cool experience to do this side by side with her because I see so much of myself as a young girl in her, like that really like timid, really, she's a really good girl. She's a people pleaser. She's really good at following directions, but I've wanted her to find herself. And so, you know, this, this winter, um, the local TV station came and they interviewed both of us and she did her first TV interview and um, she was so nervous, but she did so well. And now she's like excited to like do this stuff. And she'll say like, oh, it sounds like really scary, but I can totally do it. Um, so I'm excited because it's giving me this opportunity to work with her and, and to have this different connection with her. She's really, really smart. Um, she's much smarter than me. And um, it'll be really cool to bring her onto this entrepreneurial journey and um, see how she does and to give her leadership in um, co-hosting the podcast with me and, and um, seeing like just where this all goes. And even if it like totally flops and we only have like five people listen to us, um, for, for me to do this with her, I'm really excited about it. I can imagine because I have kids, so I get that. And I wanna make a point because you've said a couple things. This is not a destination. No. And I think we talk about that a lot on this podcast because you still every day make an effort to connect and you still every day realize that you have to get through PTSD. And, you know, it, it's incrementally, I think the journey becomes better or you refocus that like you did in a huge way um, into other things, but it's not, it's not a one and done. No. No, no, this is, it, it, this is all part of the journey. And like, that's what I want girls to know. And everyone's like, you know, like how, when I've looked at my life and how things have gone, people are like, do you see yourself doing this for the rest of your life? And I was like, no, actually, I think I'm probably going to sell this company within the next 10 years and move on to something else because my life is going to change. My ideas are going to evolve and I'm going to pivot to something else. And, and that's what we need girls to see is that, that my experiences when I, had that accident as a paramedic, nothing ended for me. I mean, like I couldn't do that work anymore, but all of those skills and techniques that I got, like I, I needed them for a reason. Like Alexa had a lot of medical problems. I saved her life like three or four times in the hospital myself because I saw things. I've helped uh, friends and family go through cancer and, and stuff and treatments because of that. Like everything that happened to me happened for a reason. I needed these skills and techniques and tools and they all have led me to where I am now. And I don't know where I'm going to be a month from now. And I don't know where I'm going to be five years from now. So for me, I'm enjoying this process and this ride. And that means every day choosing to um, be present, to be mindful, and, and, and to connect with people um, in the world, to connect with my girls, um, and to just continuously move forward and like see what unfolds without expectations, you know, without expectations for my girls and expectations for myself on what I think this journey should look like, and instead like allow it to unfold and be excited um, for, for what happens. And I think for a lot of people, that's really hard. Um, we have so many expectations and we want to control things so tightly. And when you try to control things really tight, then you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. And that's when the word failure comes up for so many people. Um, instead of just like allowing, like going through the day with purpose, 
being mindful and present and just watching, watching your children, how they show up in the world, allowing to create that space for them to be who they are. And then seeing, you know, holding space and compassion for yourself to go through the world and see what happens. And there's good days and there's bad days, but they, but they all count and they're all part of the journey. And there is, there is no final product, right? It's the process that's important and so many people miss that they're just waiting for that final product and and honestly if you look at an entrepreneurial aspect like if you actually have like a final product process and goal like you're you're holding yourself back from so much other success i love it and i think that's a great place to end even though i could ask you tons more questions for another <laughs> hour <laughs> that is a place to end all your information is in the notes and people can reach out to you and listen to the podcast. And I'm so excited that you shared with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.